I'm thinking in particular um, of an enormous lake that exists in south um, eastern Israel. Um, it, it's so large it measures 50 miles by 10 miles and the surface of its waters uh, lie 1,290 feet uh, below sea level. Uh, it's a very salty lake, in fact it's five times more salty than the ocean and there's virtually no life in it at all. Of course I'm speaking about the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea exists in stark contrast to Lake Galilee. Both lakes are fed by the same source, the River Jordan. The River Jordan, as you all know, I'm sure, flows south uh, into what is the Lake of Galilee, uh, and then it exits, still running south, and eventually ends up in the Dead Sea. <clears throat> the, the, so this is a remarkable contrast when you think that they're both being fed by the same water, um, the same source. But the fact is that Galilee receives and it gives. The Dead Sea receives and stores what it can and it stagnates. And that's, that's something that we can see, as I mentioned at the outset, in, in, uh, in the world of nature. Uh, there's another feature in nature that comes to my mind uh, readily um, and that features the same uh, principles, if you will, and that is just the whole existence of living. We, we breathe in and we breathe out. Uh, we breathe in oxygen, but failure to breathe out results in suffocation. And uh, there's, there's very, very clearly and evidently a correlation to be found between that natural world and the spiritual world. And the Christian life itself functions uh, as it was designed to function when there's a healthy inflow and a healthy outflow. Which raises the question, I suppose, well, what really do we understand by outflow? What are we thinking about? And uh, I'm thinking of this perhaps um, in a couple of categories. Um, f first of all, there's the primary outflow, as I would choose to think about it. And uh, this, this outflow is, is, is the outflow of divine life. Um, something of God within a man or a woman that is discharged from their person. And uh, some of you who were listening to a recent message I gave uh, will remember how we turned to John chapter 7. And uh, in... This is where Jesus stands at that uh, great feast. Chapter 7, verse 37 reads, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. 
He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And uh, uh, Jesus is speaking, as, as John helps us to understand, about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God which men and women are so privileged to be able to receive, to, to drink in, as Jesus puts it in this particular statement. Uh, and what he is teaching is that as the direct result and consequence of, of drinking in that life of the Spirit of God, it will spontaneously flow out from our inward being. And uh, the, the, um, the, the, the outflow, that, as Jesus described it, is the direct result of, of the inflow. Inflow, outflow. Um, and it's, I think I commented on this in the earlier session, uh, but it's interesting that Jesus chose such a very simple everyday illustration to make this very plain and, and clear to us. Um, drinking is something that requires no real effort on our part. <clears throat> we just open our mouths and receive. I mean, if we're looking after ourselves, we have to lift the vessel up, the cup up, or whatever it is. But to drink, we just, we just receive it. And Jesus chose this illustration to speak about the privileged experience um, of receiving the Spirit of God with that wonderful uh, consequence that he describes of, of rivers of life, rivers of living flowing out from our inward being. And uh, uh, clearly, once again from that passage, Jesus' intention was that that would be a continual process something that is continuing to happen. As we drink and keep drinking, the rivers will flow and keep flowing. And there's a fascinating and very realistic um, presentation of the, 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 the Christian experience as designed and intended by God and provided for by God also. Um, and this, this outflow... Uh, can also be uh, an action that is triggered by, by revelation to our hearts. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, the chapter just a little earlier than chapter 7, in chapter 4, where we read about the woman who we call the woman of Samaria. And without trying to retell the story here, uh, I remind myself that here's a woman who had never ever read a book, the kind of books that we can find in a Christian bookstall or bookshop or what have you. Uh, she'd never, I know this for sure, she'd never listened uh, to or heard someone preaching a message on YouTube or on the internet. And what I also know about her is that Jesus chose to meet her. He'd chosen this woman. And... Uh, uh, in, in that setting where they met, it's very evident um, that the woman wasn't there. She wasn't, she, she wasn't there because of what she would receive from him. 
Well, my get from the experience, I mean, she never chose anything to do with it. She just was doing the routine things she did daily, and Jesus was there. For Jesus, he was there intentionally. Uh, we remember how the text reads when it says that he must needs go through Samaria. Remember in the old King James words. And uh, it was necessary for him to go there. It was vital for him to go there. Why? Because clearly he himself said he didn't do anything except his father led him. So he was led of the father to go and meet this woman. It was a divinely ordained meeting. I'd like to tell you that that's always the way that God meets people. <clears throat> uh, the meetings never take place because we make a decision to meet him. It, the initiative is always with God, as I've said a hundred times or maybe a thousand times over the years. He is always the Alpha and the Omega. He's always the beginning. He, he's always the initiator. And if we find ourselves in the context of the presence of God, and would to God that would be true for each of us, even in these moments together, and that we sense we're in the presence of God, rest assured that it is so not because you planned it, but because he planned and ordained it. And he only does that when he has a purpose for the meeting and for the occasion. <clears throat> so this woman who just seems to um, find herself in the presence of this man, uh, uh, of course, begins to recognize that he is not some ordinary man. Uh, it turns out that she experiences a revelation. I spoke of a revelation a moment ago. And uh, she would not have been able to explain in any kind of detail what this revelation was, but she very evidently sensed deep within herself that she was in the presence of divinity. She was in the presence of the Messiah. She wouldn't have been able to spell it out or describe it. I'm sure of that. So here's this woman who finds herself here. She's not planned to be here. She's now discovering that there's something incredibly extraordinary about the man with whom the conversation is taking place. And uh, as, the result of, as the result of that, she turns from that setting and she makes haste, we're told. She returns to the city. And when she returned, uh, when she arrived back in the city, something flowed out of her. And what was it? It was her testimony. It was her story. Uh, and it was so powerful uh, to her uh, that she, I love the text which reads, and she went to the men. Evidently she was a woman who knew men. Uh, but she said to them, the men, come and see a man who told me whatever things I've done. But there's something in those words that is powerful. I think she's saying to these ordinary, worldly, carnal men, she said, I want you to come and see a man who's unlike any man I've ever met or known in the whole of my journey of life. Amen. She had a testimony that was based on a revelation. God had revealed something of himself to her. 
She wasn't a, a mature Christian. She hadn't attended hundreds or thousands of Christian meetings like so many who are listening to me right now. This was an entirely new experience. And the product of it was a profound change within her uh, that caused her to go to those that she knew and, f and allow something to flow out. It flowed out of her mouth in terms of a testimony to those that she was speaking to. You know, this that I'm referring to here is not something that is merely reserved for the, you know, the elderly or the mature Christian. This is for the youngest babe, and I think it's illustrated by the story I've just referred to. Uh, she tasted something that was so great. She tasted the so great salvation. She was only on the fringes of it yet, but nevertheless, it stirred something within her heart that, 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 that she had to give out. There had to be an outflow of it. She ran back to the city. She ran back to the men. And uh, earlier in the meeting, uh, without mentioning the name of the person, but he made a reference to that phrase, got to tell someone. He credited it to um, Keith Green, but it was actually Don Francisco who we heard singing it many years ago, before some of you were born. Uh, but, but this was the, the thrust of that song that he sang. Gotta, you know, he's American, of course. Gotta tell someone. Gotta tell someone. There was something, like, a, a, something had caught fire within his breast. Is not this true of every man and every woman, every young person, every older person who first experiences the reality of the grace of God impacting them and they open their innermost heart to the truth of God. Faith is quickened or comes alive within them and they believe and there's a transformation that happens which is going to be an ongoing transformation as they walk on in the Spirit of God and they walk from glory to glory even by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. And uh, so what, what we're, we're gathering is that for the, for the authentic Christian, I'm sorry I have to say that because there's only one kind of Christian when all's been said and done, but allow me to say for the outflow uh, from the authentic Christian, there is an invisible flow of the spirit of life that flows from them. It, it's invisible, but it's there and it's real. It's not being produced by any kind of human effort. That is impossible. The only reason it's flowing is because they're drinking the living water into their innermost person. But also, uh, it's clear that there's an aspect of outflow from us that is the result of some kind of verbal expression. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 10, uh, how shall they hear without a preacher? And Paul, at that time, the Apostle who was writing those words, uh, he was the one who, from, from whom I believe there was an invisible river of life flowing from him, but he also opened his mouth and there was a, an outward, audible, verbal expression of the truth of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? 
he says. Uh, this, is, this is not so much an invisible outflow, or there may be mystery that we can find in it, certainly, but it's not so much an invisible outflow that spontaneously uh, gushes out from our innermost being. And this is a more deliberate flow. And when we're conscious of what we're doing, you know, there's a story, some of you, and perhaps most of you will be familiar with in the Old Testament, <clears throat> in the second book of Kings. And it's a story about some lepers. I, it's a great story. It occupies quite a bit of the text. I can't read it all just now, but let me just tell you very, very briefly. Uh, it involves some lepers. They were expelled from being able to live in the city and from the benefits of the city. Uh, there was a famine taking place. The people in the city were, were on the verge of death. Perhaps some had already died. I don't know. And uh, uh, the, the, the lepers talked within themselves. It's so hard to avoid getting caught up in the story itself. But the fact is, there's a, there's a, a nearby camp, a nearby community. It's Samaria uh, that is the nearest uh, where they're from. But they... Um, they, they decide, well, look, we're not going to, if we sit out here in the city, just sitting here, we're going to die. Uh, if we go back into this city, we're going to die. There's this other camp of people um, who were not friendly to them. Uh, but they said, you know, let's go over there and see what, see if there's any food there to be found. And of course, God had overruled the whole situation and um, unknown to them. He'd caused those people to hear some sounds that were frightening to them. They've all run for their lives. And so when the lepers get there, there's nobody there. Um, and uh, uh, the, 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 there's just an abundance of, of, of a bounty of food. And uh, of course they're feasting on it. And then evidently one says to the others, you know, if we hold our peace... Think of this, if we hold our peace and tarry here till the morning light, some, some mischief may come upon us. Uh, let us go and tell the king's household. That's how the story goes. Got to tell somebody. Uh, again, this story, quite different from the wording of John chapter 7 and Jesus with the drinking and rivers of living water. But nevertheless, in this story, I think it illustrates the fact that yet is another feature. This is not just the spontaneous river flowing. This, this is a sense that it's right for us to go and open our hearts and open our mouths. We've got to tell somebody about this. And of course, this, this is, uh, I believe, it's something which is inbred into the inner heart of every true godly man and godly woman um, it, it's that it's that word I, I hear Jesus saying when he was just 12 years of age I must be I must be about my father's business you remember that context I'm sure to whom he was speaking I must be and I believe that that I must is somewhere in the hearts of every true authentic believer and of course we hear Jesus himself saying, uh, uh, you know, toward the, the moment of his resurrection, 
uh, of his ascension, forgive me, he, he, he said, go, go into all the world and preach. Isn't that what he said? Go into all the world, preach. I'll finish it in a moment. A little later, I have the record in Acts chapter 2 of the Apostle Peter standing up. This man from out of town with a funny accent and he's here in Jerusalem. And Well, you all know about his betrayal and so on, but here he is. Something's happened to him. Here he is on this day of Pentecost and he stands up with a great throng around him and the text says Peter raised his voice and declared. Do you see what I'm saying? There's something within him that had to have an outflow. Got to tell someone. And of course we, we, we can follow this through in many ways in the text of Scripture. Um, I love the way that the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonian church and he is able to make this statement. He said, from you the word of God sounded out. They were a telling, preaching people at that time and he's complimenting them on that, that they, they, they not only heard and received the word that he had preached when he, Paul, had been with them earlier, uh, but that they were... There were those of them that were moving in the flow of the spirits of life and they were sounding out the message so that the, the experiences that they'd had of the gospel was being sounded out in the whole community, in the whole world, it says. But there you are. And then there was that, um, that moment recorded in Acts chapter 7, uh, where the angel comes into the prison house. Do you remember? His words were, go, go, stand, speak in the temple to the people. All the words of this life. Do you see it? It's there over and over again. We have um, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. And he says, preach the word, Timothy. Preach it, whether it's in season, whether it's out of season. Just preach the word. Amen. But this preaching, this outflow of, of truth, uh, empowered by the Spirit of God, is it, it, such a necessary feature. But let's just go back then to Jesus' statement uh, in Matthew's Gospel where he says, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel and make disciples. This is the added feature there. Um, it's, 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 it's sort of part two to his command, preach the gospel, but make disciples of the people who hear and who respond uh, to the message. Uh, so Jesus there, quite clearly, he added another feature to the command. When, he, he, Jesus did not say, forgive me for this, but Jesus did not say, um, go into all the world and build bigger barns, did he? He didn't say, go out into all of the world and, and, and give out many, many tracts, gospel tracts. He didn't say that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying he didn't say that. Uh, he didn't say, go and be sure to go to church every Sunday. He didn't say that. Uh, he said, go into all of the world and make disciples of every nation. Amen. And of course, that, it's that second phase. One thing to preach, 
and you know hand a tract out or whatever it be uh, but this requires an engagement with people uh, this um, this this th this touches on a, a life purpose let me just ask you I'll just pause for a moment do you, do you know anything about these things that I'm talking about um, are you someone who is a continual drinker an in drinker of the Holy Spirit of God is that does that is that typify or, or, or is that characteristic of your life that you are that person you're not just someone who's into Christian religion and listening to messages and just drinking it in writing notes doing all the things that people do sometimes uh, but but are you someone who, who knows what it is to drink in the spirit of life into you who's continually transforming you and although you will never see it, it's something rest assured as a spontaneous product of that and something's flowing out from you that you can't see and you can't measure but all you know is you're still drinking in but rest assured the flowing out will take place spontaneously it'll be the overflow as we've put it recently. Amen. <clears throat> but here, perhaps, perhaps we're touching another nerve, perhaps an even more rare, um, more uh, noticeable nerve, when we talk about engaging with people. This may not come naturally to us. I'd like to say I don't think it came naturally to me, or maybe it doesn't come naturally to me today. But there's something inside that says I've got to tell somebody, and uh, and it and, and it and it's it's telling, but it's engaging with people because making disciples involves spending time with, engaging with, explaining, helping, praying with, leading, encouraging, teaching, and, and so on. Many many things could be said and explained. But, and, and to, for it to be a life purpose, this is, you know, to, I, I live to preach his word. That must be true of every one of us. It must be the, the primary uh, purpose for our lives. The, that, that, which, that which makes us tick. It's what it's all about. It's, it's, it's being in fellowship with Jesus. It's receiving from him. And it's... it's, it, it's it, deliberately allowing there to be an outflow through my mouth, through my experiences with men and women. Amen. That's not just passing, not just fleeting, but who I am. You know, I may be, uh, I may be a preacher, I may be a policeman, but if I'm a Christian, I've got to be a preacher. And so have you. And we preach loudest with our lives. But that doesn't excuse us from opening our mouths. There'd be no benefit to you today if I just sat here. We've got to say something. We've got to share something. You know, there's another feature to this giving, to this outpouring, that, that comes to our attention um, when we hear Jesus speaking. Uh, it's only for the sake of time, I'm not turning to the various passages, but I'm telling you, I'm in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, and in verse 38, you'll remember his words immediately. Jesus said, give, and it shall be given unto you. Give, give, give away, and it shall be given to you. 
you know, this this is a way for unique personal blessing um, in our in our lives. But I, I need to just pause and just sort of hold up in a lay-by here for a moment uh, and say, sadly, as we come to the scripture, sadly um, and quite frequently, this principle, this text and this principle that it involves and describes is abused. It's abused mostly by, in the way I'm thinking of it just now, by Christian leaders. And <clears throat> it's, it's used for their own personal gain or for the promotion of their, the ministry that they're heading up or what have you. Sometimes it's for their own ego's sake. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul in his writings, he, he, he does address this topic. Um, of responsible support for those who are ministering the word. Um, but today that issue is confused, in our society at least, um, because the people who are doing the preaching usually are, in many cases, not all cases, very highly salaried people and uh, with all of the sort of benefit package um, there was a time, I'll just pause, I shouldn't really be doing this, but I'll just pause a little longer just to tell you something from my own life very quickly, not all the facts. But I was being asked to accept the pastors of a church many years ago, and uh, um, I, I really was the product of a house church movement and a different kind of ministry and so on, and I was sitting with 13 people on this occasion who were sort of interviewing me, and because I didn't quite fit all the boxes or whatever you call them, uh, that needed to be checked. They were asking me many, many questions. And something was said at one point about the, the pastor's pay package. And I said, well, I'd just like to say I don't wish to receive a salary. And they go, what? I said, well, the Apostle Paul said that he would rather die uh, than beg for money to, to make the gospel, put a price to the gospel. And um, the response on that occasion was, well, you know, we're not even going down that road. They didn't use that expression. But they said, a committee will decide on the pastor's pay package. You know, that's the way they think. But there was such a, a simplicity about the early Christians. If God was calling them, God would look after them. And by his grace, I had met up with a team of men and women who at that time, this is way back in the 1960s, who, who believed the kind of position that I've just credited to the Apostle Paul and to the Scriptures, and they were living it. And it's been a joy to continue that way. But the, the, the point is, we've got Jesus saying, given it shall be given. We've got people who manipulate that to suit their own purposes, uh, and so on. But... I love the way Paul writes again to the Second Corinthians in Second Corinthians, and uh, and in chapter eight he's talking about material giving. Um, uh, on that occasion, he, the way he illustrated, he refers to the Macedonians, who who were givers, and he's saying they gave out of their deep poverty. You know, they didn't have plenty of money in the bank. They gave out of their deep poverty. And, and, and then in the fifth verse of that eighth chapter, the Apostle Paul says, but they first gave themselves to God. 
That was the supreme giving. Whatever else outflowed, and he saw a place for that. But he put first things first, and he's saying that these were a people who had understood that the most important feature of giving is giving yourself to God. And we don't want support from people who are doing it out of some kind of legalism or some kind of routine or religious notion. But people are to first give themselves to God and that's the basis of the Christian gospel and that's what I live to preach, that gospel. Amen. And, uh, you know, whatever practical or material application there may be from Jesus' words when he said, given it shall be given, uh, let's make sure that we read the whole context and we realise and, and recognise that he's talking about love, he's talking about blessing, he's talking about forgiveness. Give love, give blessing, give forgiveness. And in your very giving of these things, you yourself will be refreshed. You yourself will be blessed, for this is the way of God. Amen. Outflow always makes room for fresh inflow. inflow. That, that's the thrust of that passage in Luke chapter 6, I believe. You give and you will be enriched. But he's not just talking about money and we mustn't take it down that road in that particular way. Amen. Now, as I draw to a conclusion here, I need to say that this outflow in whatever form or manner it is to take place through our redeemed lives. Um, this, this outflowing blessing all too often is obstructed and it's obstructed primarily by self-absorption. Where we're just taken up with ourselves, where life is all about me, it's all about you. We may not like the sound of that, but all too often that really is a principle that is governing our lives. And insofar as it does that, it will inhibit and obstruct the flow of God's great purpose and God's great blessing in our lives. You know, there's a, another story in the Old Testament um, that, um, that in which I find a statement. That's the only part of it I'm going to quote to you. But in it, I find this statement, who, excuse me, who shall sit upon the throne? There's a whole story around that. Who shall sit upon the throne? And that's the challenge that faces you and me. Who shall sit upon the throne? Will it be you sitting on the throne of your life, running your own life, making all the judgments and all the decisions and values and whatever else it is? Or will it be Christ who is enthroned within your heart? You know, this is not something for some super great Christians. This is fundamental. Christian experience 101, as they may say. It's basic. You give yourself. The Thessalonians first gave themselves to God. That's what it's all about. Christianity is not just believing certain facts and putting them in your pockets as though it's some kind of passport for heaven and you, you go out and just carry on doing what you like. No, no, no. Jesus went out of his way to teach them that 
you know, it, it, it's a life surrendered completely to him. That's what it's all about. And, uh, you know, as I use this expression of will it, and, and question, will it be you or will it be Christ? Um, really, it's, it's self. And it, we've talked before how you can fiddle with that word in the English language and turn it around and it's, it reminds us of the word flesh. Uh, the flesh refuses to submit itself to the cross. That, that's, that's the root. This is the core. You know, for Christ himself, the cross dealt with sin. For me, the, and for you, the cross deals with self. It deals with the flesh. It's the death principle. Jesus taught it, didn't he? John chapter 12, he talks about this. He talks about the corn of wheat. He talked about the corn of wheat that contains within in itself the, the germ of, of unlimited harvests. And Jesus taught. It, it appears to die as, it's being, as it surrenders itself, if you will, to the forces of nature in the ground uh, but it's in this apparent death that in reality is the threshold to a more abundant life jesus taught that and he had it written into nature for us so that we can't miss it but where there's no cross in your life there'll be no outflow amen but Conversely, as you embrace the cross and surrender yourself to it, at the same time you will be drinking the living water. That's, that's how it works. And you will be able to say with confidence, Christ liveth in me. And spontaneously, as the result of it, the living stream of life will begin to flow and the life of engagement in the service and work for the Lord and the preaching of the gospel will become your greatest joy. I finish with this. My dear friend, whoever you are, these, these are the most important words you'll ever hear a human being say to you. Give yourself to God. They first gave themselves to God. When did you do that? Would you do it afresh, even today? Let me just pray. Father, the word is yours. The gospel is yours. The grace of, is yours. The moving of your Holy Spirit upon men and women is yours, Lord. The purpose in choosing each one of us and to speak to us as surely as you chose that woman of Samaria. Lord, it's all yours. But we pray, Father, that you will find such a renewed, uh, enlivened response from every one of our hearts, Lord. Regardless of what our life status is or our spiritual understanding is lord will you awaken something within every listening precious man and woman today quicken your word there lord bring it to life stir a response we pray that will be to your praise and your glory and turn 
the lives of men and women around. Pivot them from this moment, Lord, into a more complete surrender of themselves to you, Lord, to God, and fulfil all your gracious will in them. From this day forward, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I do encourage you uh, to, to visit the website that we represent. And just We've just tweaked it and changed it a little bit. Do, do go there. The, the address is very simple. Mackenzie Fellowship, M-C-K, mckenziefellowship.com. And may God bless every one of you. Amen.